today we want to talk about an advocate. We have an advocate. As again, we turn in our Bibles to the letter of John. And what I like about this letter, it's a repetitive nature of the letter. For four weeks now, we're going to hear the same. And just as a reflection of what we've heard, God is light. God is love. And God is life. And that is what a child of God should remember, and we should say it all over again. If you understand those concepts, it will change your Christian life forever. If you come in a dark situation, you will understand God is light. And in Him, the Bible says, there is no darkness at all. It's not the first time you've heard me saying that over the last few weeks. The Bible, is that's the critical message of the Word of God. And then we know that He was revealed to us, He was experienced, and then we share Him to others. That, in short, is the gospel. That is what He's doing with us. It's not dead letters on a book. The Bible is living. But it's not only this book. It's when this book becomes alive inside of you, which makes the difference. And we need to understand that. And then last week we saw that we've got a sin problem. Is it a problem? Absolutely. It keeps us away from God. Now, I know that the world is trying to make it a problem, and they say, you've only got a problem, we're going to give you some medicine to, to solve the problem. We're going to give you some pills to solve the problem. But the only pill that will help you with the sin is the gospel. It's the only one who will set you free. And we saw how that man is trying to bring God down to his level. And there's still a lot of that going around. And then we also saw how man is trying to get up to God's level and showing that we are sinless perfection. And people walking around and they go, I'm better than you. We know a lot of those people, don't we? I'm better than you. I'm a better Christian than you. I am more holier than thou. And then we saw the answer to everybody is that we have to humble ourselves, confess our sins, and what happens? He saves us. That's it. That's the letter that John writes to us. Now, I just pray, and we all need to pray that this roof is going to hold up with this wind. Amen? Uh, and hopefully it keeps you awake if I can't with the preaching. So, uh, let's turn straight away into our, into our Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, as we start with chapter 2. Now, this first two verses, I believe, still belongs with chapter 1. Because he finishes off and I, a concept here, a principle which is finishing off here. And I want to finish with that. So he says in 1 John chapter 2 verse 1, My little children. How intimate is that? He's not talking about babies here. Really physical babies. He calls the people that he's writing this letter to little children. And the Greek word there is, is the word technia which means little ones, newborn ones. The correct phrase here for us should be new born-again ones. This is who he's writing it to. He's writing it to people like you and myself. In this apostle's eyes, we are little children who need guidance. That's what you do with a little child, isn't it? If they are little, I think of little Andre, if it comes up in my mind, you take him by the hand and you guide him. When you sit down with them, with these little ones, you want to give them the best you've got. 
This is what he writes to these people. He says to them so beautifully, he says, My, my little children, not just little children. He says that I'm invested in you. The best that I know I want to give to you. And then he says, These things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins... We have an advocate. There is our title for the day. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sin. No, no, I've misread that. For our sins. Can you see the plural? It's not a singular. For our sins. Friend, you have to read the Bible like that. Don't misread the Bible. There's so much meaning behind the words. And he says, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. All the nations, cultures. How wonderful is that? Let's just thank the Lord for His word. Father, I come to you because I'm just a weak man. But the Bible says if we are weak, you are strong. And this morning as we read the most wonderful words that this world hear, the Word of God. I'm so fascinated by it, Lord. I want to say, Lord, my cup runneth over just to hear the words of You expressed this morning. And Father, I just pray that You touch my lips, my mind and my heart. Father, moreover, I pray for Your anointing over Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. My little children... He writes to them, he says to them, we have an advocate. First of all, he jumps away by saying, these things I write to you. And you need to ask the question, what things are you talking about, John? These things. Well, he talks about the last three weeks that we were preaching about here. He talks about the warnings about sin. You remember last week when we had those two words for sin, the dartboard, you remember that? And he says the word there is harmatia. That means you are missing the mark. And if the law of God is the mark, friend, you and I miss the mark daily. The law of God is that tutor that brings us to Christ. He says these things about harmatia, missing the mark. I've written to you. Also paraptoma. Who remembers what paraptoma means? It means trespassing. It means there's a sign, a gated sign, and he says, no trespasses allowed. And then if you jump the gate, you go into territory where you are not allowed to be. And this is what people do today. There is certain laws in the Word of God that He has put down, and it's for the good of us. But people ignore the sign. They want to see how big the dog is. They say, no trespasses allowed, beware the dog. It's amazing. It's amazing how people jump over the fence and they go, let's see how big this dog is. Let's look at his fangs. Let's see how fast he can, he can chase and run up to us. And they will give one and two and three steps. That's what sin does, friends. Sin is a big, old, fiery lion. That's what it is, isn't it? The Bible calls him a lion who wants to come and destroy us. There is a gate that God has put up. He says, do not trespass. Do not jump over the gate. Beware of the lion. 
Beware of the lion. He says that Satan is like a roaring lion walking around looking that he can destroy us. Remember when he went to God and stand before God and, and what happened? God said, have you seen my servant Job? And he says, yes, I saw him and I wanted to devour him. I wanted to destroy him. But there is a sign up for him. Don't touch. You see, there's two sides of this thing. On this side, it says, don't touch my servant. On that side, it says to the servant, don't cross over, don't trespass. What's going to happen if you trespass? Come on, you tell me. The lion's going to get to you. Yeah, people don't. You know what they do? They jump over the fence and they give the first step. That's always easy. That's the one where you look around and you say, oh, where's that? I can't see the lion. Oh, that's a lie. They are lying to me. You see, the first step in sin is always the one which is the difficult step. Because you're afraid. But then you give the second step and there's still no lion. Where's the lion? And sin works that way. You do it first time and it becomes easier. It becomes easier. But that old lion is lying around the corner and he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you until you let your guard down and you've wandered so far ac uh, across this line that you were not supposed to trespass. And that is when he jumps out and he grabs you. And sin destroys. That's the message of sin that he says, these things I write to you. What did he else write? He says that we need to follow Jesus Christ. He says, this is what I've written down, that we need to walk in the light for God is light. This is all part of these things that he says I write to you. And then explain the problem of how to approach a holy God. How do we approach a holy God? He says, well, there's three ways that mankind is trying to do it. First, man is bringing God down to his level there in verse 6. You remember when he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, what do we do? We're telling a lie. Oh, we fellowship with Him. We are Christians. Whoa! But we walk in darkness. What are we doing? We're pulling God down to our level. Let me tell you, God will not come down to your level in that capacity. The only time that God comes down to your and my level is when He comes to save your soul. When you cry out to Him. Yes? And He's always there. The second way that he says is man is trying to bring himself up to God's level. How much of, 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 how much of that are we seeing in our day and time? In 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 he says, If we say that we have no sin, oh look at me, I'm so bright, I have no sin. Oh, you've got sin, you've got so many things in your life, that's why you're so struggling. But look at me, I'm not struggling. I'm perfect, pitch perfect. Look at me. And he says this is where we bring ourselves up to God's level. But then he says the truth is not in us. You see, the first one, when we lie, we deceive others. But the second one, we deceive ourselves. Oh, you think you're so high and mighty, but you're not. You're only deceiving yourself. And then he says the third one is, the right way is to humble yourself and confess your sin. Remember, he says to them, this is why these things are right to you. Why did he write it to them? He says it right there. So that you may not sin. So that you may not sin. This is why he wrote it to us. This is why we're preaching this. This is what we understand that he's trying to tell us. That we may not sin. It says there in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20, he says, For there is not a just man on the earth who does good and does not sin. How many does he say? There's not a just man. How many is there? None. 
My brother had it at the Lord's table this morning. He read it out of Romans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does all mean? All means all. <laughs> does that mean you and me? Yes. Does it mean a newborn baby that's going to be born again? Yes. You know, that's it. All have sinned. David says it again at the table. We heard it in Psalms. He says, as soon as I'm born, I'm going astray speaking lies. Speaking lies. Deceiving people. Trying to get away from the truth. This man was going to go out of town, him and his wife. And they had a little daughter, a little girl. And they thought, we're going to leave it with very good friends of ours. And they left the girl at this people. They trust them very well. They had four sons. And uh, they went away for a couple of days and came back. And the dad sat down with his little girl and he says, how did he go? She says, oh, that's a lovely family, dad. She said, they have family worship every night. Christian family. He says, oh, that's beautiful. And she says, you know what, dad, when, when their dad pray, he prays to the Lord. He says, God, please help my boys every day that they do not do things wrong. The dad said, well, that is beautiful. Isn't it wonderful? That's such an example. Four boys, the dad prays, and he says, Lord, let my boys not do things wrong. And it's quiet for a while. She looks at her dad, and she says, Dad, I don't know when God's going to do it yet, because it is not happening. Those boys are naughty. So, so that's the thing, dear friends. You know, there's not one righteous, the Bible says. I've read about this pastor. He was preaching about sin like I've been doing the last few weeks. And a man came to him afterwards. He says, I want to see you, Pastor. And he sat him down in his office. And he said, Pastor, I please want you to stop preaching about sin. Because if my children is going to hear about sin, they are going to do sin. Well, that's a way of thinking about it. The pastor sat there and he turned around and he took a small little bottle off the shelf and he looked at it and he gave it over to the man. He says, what does it say? He says on the label, it says this is a poisonous, uh, uh, um, a poison. You know, it's poison. The label says poison. He says, now why don't you go ahead and open it up and drink from it? He says, no, I won't do that. It's poison inside. It says poison. He says, so why don't we just change the label and put on the lemon juice? Will you drink it then? And he goes, no, because I know now it's poison. He says, well, we need to call it what it is. Otherwise, it will kill people. Friends, this is what John says. He says, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Now, let me just open up the Bible. As it's open there, let me open up my Bible. It's not on the board, but I want you to listen. In Romans chapter 1, I'm looking at our world today. And I see there's a lot of things that's going on which we've never seen before. People are calling good, bad. And they're calling bad, good. Is that happening? Is it only me seeing it or are you seeing it as well? I saw a documentary last night and I looked at it and I thought, man, how can they understand this? How can they make the arguments like this? How can they? Friends, I've got the answer. It's in the Word of God. You see, people look at sin and it's not sin anymore for them. It's good now. It's people's rights now that they call it. And now, listen to this. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against who? Listen. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all 
ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God. Friends, you do not want to stand in front of the wrath of God. You do not. And it's so clear. He says the wrath of God is against ungodliness and unrighteousness. Now listen to the next part. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. These people that I see, these people that you see, which sometimes frustrates us, and you sit there and you say, can't you get it? You know what they do? They suppress the truth. The word there means they are holding it down. It does not mean that the truth is not there. The truth is there, but they are holding it down. They are suppressing the truth. He says here, John, I'm writing these things for you so that you do not suppress the truth. That you do not sin. And then he continues on to say, Because what we may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, the invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even the internal power and God, it's so that they are without excuse. Because, listen, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They professing to be wise, they have become, you said it, fools. So sometimes I look at these people and I say, you know what? I'm not better than you. I'm just saved by grace. But what's coming out of your mouth is foolishness. And if foolishness comes out of your mouth, you are a fool. But be careful if you say that in public. Because that can be seen as an act of violence against that person. And an act of violence in the court of law is punishable. This is the times we are living in. This is the times that your children will be grow up in. It's a dark picture, isn't it? But there's good news. What is his name? His name is Jesus. Praise the Lord. Listen to this now. He says, My little children, these things are right to you so that you may not sin. Praise the Lord. And if anyone sins, what does that mean? Is, is John saved at this point when he writes this? Absolutely. Is he talking to born-again people? Yes, he is. He's talking to my little children. They are part of the family of God. He says, listen, I write that you may not sin, but if you do sin, you know what he's saying? He's saying that he's not sinless perfection. That is what he's saying. It's not as if now you're a child of God, now all of a sudden you are so perfect, you don't sin anymore. And you and I know it's true. You and I know that we're living in a world, we're living in a body of sin. This is what Paul says, not me. I'm not standing here saying that. Paul cries it out in the book of Romans. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am. What tense is that? What is the tense am? Present tense. He didn't say, Oh, wretched man that I was, and now I'm perfect. No, no. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. This is Paul who wrote most of the letters in your Bible. This is Paul who had an encounter with Jesus Christ on the road of Damascus. This is Paul who was saved. He says that I am. 
Who will save me from this body of sin? It's friend, let me tell you, the day when you and I pass away and Jesus Christ come and receive us, that's when you will go into glorification. There's no sin in heaven. Oh, what a day that will be. Isn't it wonderful? But while we live in this body of sin, we will still have the desires of the body and the flesh coming and trying. There will still be that trespassing. There will still be harmatia missing the mark. And this is what he says here. If anybody sins here, he says, what happens? We have an advocate. Oh, how wonderful that is. Do you know what an advocate is? It is so interesting. He says this advocate is where? He's with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. The word here, now I want you to look at this now, because this becomes really interesting if you love the word of God. The word for advocate that he uses here in Greek is the word parakletos. Parakletos. The word advocate means a person who puts a case on somebody else's behalf. We know what it is. You look in a court of law, an advocate walks in, and what does he do? He walks up to them, and a defense lawyer, you can call him a lawyer, he argues for the innocence of the client. That's what an advocate do. He walks up to the judge and he says, Judge, this person is innocent, and this is the reasons why. The person don't talk, but the advocate talk on his behalf. You see, friends, what he says here, he says, Jesus is your advocate. This means that he admits our guilt, this is what he does as your advocate. And then he enters the plea. What is the plea? He himself is the plea. So advocate is the word parakletos. Now we've seen this word before, haven't we? We've seen this word before. Look at this now. He says, advocate is in the Greek parakletos. Okay, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. It comes from two words. It comes from the word para which means to come alongside. If you say para in Greek, it means it's somebody coming alongside you, okay? And then it comes from the second word, kletos, which means to call, to call somebody alongside you that will strengthen you. That is what the word means. Parakletos, to call somebody alongside you. Now, this is where we get a few interesting words from, which we all know. You will not forget parakletos after this. And I know some of you heard me say this before. I've taught on this before. But hang in there because it gets beautiful. The word parachute. You remember that? What's a parachute? Anyone? Where do you use a parachute? When you jump out of the airplane. Now, if you jump out of the airplane without a parachute, what's going to happen? Splat. Is there something that's going to break your fall? No. What do you do? You jump out and you pull the parachute. Para, come alongside, in this case above you. And what is it going to do? It calls in the chute that's going to soften your blow to the earth. That's what parachute is. Who knows what's a paramedic? Everybody knows what's a paramedic. Come on, what is that? Where do you use that? In the air? No, no, that's when there's an accident. Yes. <laughs> I didn't plan that. I didn't talk to David before. But he's absolutely right. But I think then even that, a, 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 a paramedic won't even be able to help you. In so many cases, maybe. 
So parachute jumps, if you jump without one, you, you hope there's a paramedic down there. I'm going to use that from now on. Thanks, David. <laughs> so paramedic is come alongside, but somebody with medical care and understanding. That's paramedic. It says here that we have an advocate, a parakletos. Now, who's this parakletos for us? It is Jesus Christ, the righteous. This is beautiful. Now, wait a minute. We've used this word before. We know where this word comes from. I find it fascinating, friends, that when we read here in John, that he says we have this advocate, that he uses that word for Jesus. I find it fascinating. Our righteous. Now, let's just see something here. He uses the name Jesus Christ, okay? So Jesus is the earthly name of, of God, okay, of Jesus. It's the earthly name. And it means Jehovah is salvation. And then he says the second part is Christ. Christ is the title. And it means the Messiah or the Anointed One. And remember what I said to you before. When he uses it in that format, Jesus before Christ, what does it mean? It means of Jesus on the earth. Now I've got it for you on the timeline. Just to explain this for you. How he specifically chose these words. Why didn't he write down in his first verse... We have an advocate with the Father Christ Jesus. He could have done that. But he says it in this way. He says Jesus Christ. Now look at this. We see the name Jesus Christ, which Jesus himself uses for himself the title on the earth, the Son of Man. What does Son of Man mean? It means it's the link from the earth to heaven. There is somebody standing on the earth and he reaches out to heaven. Job cries out and he says there's no mediator. But now Jesus came and he is the son of man who reaches from the earth and touches God. He is our high priest. He represents us. This is so great if you understand this. But then he uses the name Christ Jesus which is the Son of God. Now, what does that mean? It means that from heaven, Jesus reaches down to the earth. So the Son of Man reaches up, and the Son of God reaches down. That's the titles that He used. Both those titles are used in your New Testament. Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. The Son of Man, the Son of God. And that brings to us this, this reach from heaven down to the earth. The Gnostics don't like this, by the way. The Gnostics say that there's no reaching on, going on between these two. The Gnostics say that man is evil and that God will not come down to man's level. Jesus said, no, it's not right. Now look at this now. Before the cross, we find Christ, the Messiah, came down to earth. You see that? And he got an earthly name, Jesus. We remember when the angel appeared to Mary in Matthew chapter 21, verse 21 to Joseph. He says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sin. And in verse 22, So that all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see? 
God with us. So we on the earth knows Him as Jesus Christ. When, when John writes down, he says, we saw Jesus, we heard Him, we touched Him. But then, after the cross, He ascended on high. Where is He seated now? He's seated on the right hand of the Father. What is it now? He says, now He's titled Christ Jesus. So go and read your Bible like that. Understand that and you will see. So when, when he writes now, he says, we have an advocate with the Father. Where is Jesus now? He's in heaven with the Father. That's the best place that you want your advocate to be. The best place is with the Father. He came from heaven, uh, from the earth, and he went up to the Father. And this is so wonderful for us. Now, we continue. He says, the advocate, this is the parakletos. Now, as I said, we've heard this word before. Because if the Paracletus is now in heaven, how can he help us? Well, Jesus walked with his disciples. And one day he turned to his disciples. In John chapter 14 verse 16 he says, And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Helper. And that word in Greek is Paracletus. It's the same word that John uses in his letter when he says, we have an advocate with the Father. You see, John was writing this to them, which Jesus told him personally. And look at this now. He says that he may abide with you forever. Because where did Jesus go? He ascended on high. Jesus in person ascended on high. So, in other words, you could sit there and say, but there goes my parakletos, there goes my helper. Where is my help going to come from? Jesus says, oh, wait a minute. I've got good news for you. The parakletos, the helper, that he may abide with you. Now, he says, he calls him the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. Not only that, Jesus Christ is called the truth. John chapter 17. And now he continues and he says, Whom the world cannot receive. Why? Why do you think the world can't receive him? Because they don't want him. They can't receive him because they are not saved. You see, you had to be washed by the blood of the Lamb to be able to receive the Holy Spirit, the Paracletos. If you sit here this morning and you are not saved, I've got bad news for you. I'm sorry to tell you, but that helper is not there for you. Oh, he wants to help. But He's not there for you. He says, Whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You see this? This is gnosis. It's not, it's not, it's not the agnostics, but it's gnosis, to know Him. How do you know Jesus Christ? How do you know Him? By reading the book? Yes, you will know Him, but by having a personal relationship with Him. That's how you know Him. That's the know He talks about there. You see, my lovely wife, when she stood here this morning, she said, Dearest. That's a beautiful title to use, isn't it? But if I go back so many years before I met her, and the first time when, when I saw her as a young lady, and I walked up to her, did she say to me, Dearest? I would have gone, Whoa, what's going on here? Wow. I just met you. I'm, you know, I'm just courting you. And I'm just dearest. Wow, okay. Are we there yet? How did it become from 
just a young man and a woman to dearest. We know each other all over this year. You know, all of this life, we know each other. I complete the sentences. That's crazy, isn't it? And she completes my sentences. And I go, don't complete my sentences. And she go, but you complete my sentences. I said, yeah, because I need to use up some words during the day. Because, you know, ladies use more words than I won't go there. <laughs> but, but this is how you know each other. And you start knowing each other better. And this is the know he's talking about. He says, the world can't do it because they don't see him. They don't want to see him. Nor do they know him. They don't spend time with him. They don't want to listen to him. But, now this is a, listen to this now. He says, but you know him. My question to you is, do you? Do you know him today? To this know that I've just explained. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I rest my case. If you spend time with him, he will be with you and in you. And this is how you know him. Then he becomes your parakletos, the one who comes alongside you and help you. Which is really interesting, because if you look at this now, this is a show of the Trinity. Now, who believes in the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That is the essence of, of, of our faith. We don't believe in one true God. We believe in the triune God. And this is what it explains in this verse. You find the triune God. You find the Father. You get another helper. And who was saying this? I. Who's the I? So it's Jesus, the Father, and the Helper, the Holy Spirit. We're going to see it in a minute. Now when you come down to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, he says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now that God in English is a singular God. You see that? It doesn't say God's. Because the triune God is not God's. It's one God. But if you go to the Hebrew, it uses the word Elohim. Sorry if it's too low for some people, but you can stand up if you want to see. He says the Trinity, which we don't find in our Bibles, okay? You don't find the word Trinity in the Bible. But you get the teaching around this. Now it says God is the word Elohim. Now in Hebrew, Elohim is a plural. It's not a singular. That is why English is so poor against Hebrew. And that is why English is so poor against Greek. Sorry if I offend you, but it's just true if you come to the Word of God. So he says here, Elohim, which is a plural for God. That means it is more. Okay? So what is it more then? Within Elohim is the Father, is the Son, and is the Holy Spirit. And let me just say, Jesus is not all three of them. The Father is the Father in His own right. The Son is the Son in His own right, and the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit in His own right. And this confuses a lot of people. But we find it. They say, where do you find the Trinity? Well, there's just one verse of many. Do you remember when Jesus Christ, when He was baptized, when He came out of the water, what happened? A wonderful thing happened. The heavens opened up. A voice came from heaven. While Jesus was on the earth, a voice came from heaven, and what did it say? This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And what came down like a dove? It's not a dove, but what came down? The Holy Spirit came down. There is the triune God. 
So this is so wonderful for me, friends. When we read about the Parakletos, we've got the Parakletos, Jesus. Now he talks about another Parakletos, the Holy Spirit. The same. The same. In John chapter 14, verse 26. Now Jesus explained more about this Parakletos. He says, but the Helper, the Parakletos, the Holy Spirit... You see, now he identifies this parakletos. It's not the advocate we are talking about now with John. It is the Holy Spirit. He whom the Father will send in my name, what will he do? He will teach you all things. So is the Holy Spirit important in your life? Yes. Man, I can preach here from the front until I'm blue in the face. I don't know where that phrase comes from, because if I'm doing it, then it belongs here, but... But I can preach day and night until I'm out of breath. If the Holy Spirit is not going to open up the Word for you, it's only going to be a teaching. It's only going to be words. And I'm happy to do that if you've got the time to listen to me. But I, I pray that you go forward when the Holy Spirit starts teaching you. And you know what will happen? You will open up the Bible and you will read a passage and all of a sudden a scripture will stand out to you and you will go, Wow! I did that loud. You will go, wow. And you know what will happen? You will run down the hallway to your wife and you say, see, see what it says there. It says this word there. And you'll explain it to her. And she will go, I don't get it. (laughs) Friends, that's when the Holy Spirit opens it up for you. And each one of you needs to learn in your own right. What am I trying to tell you? I get excited about the Word of God because I love the Word of God. And I come in here and I talk to you about Parakletos, which Jesus' name is Parakletos, but then we find the Holy Spirit and I go, wow! And some of you go, I don't get it. That's fine. Because you know what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit is going to open it up for you. And when He opens it up for you, you're going to go, wow! And you're going to light up. And you go, so that's so fantastic. And you're going to grow in your Christian life. We can't go without the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, friends, I don't want to get out of the bed in the morning without the Holy Spirit. I don't want to go into the shower without the Holy Spirit. I don't want to get into my car without the Holy Spirit. I don't want to go to my office without the Holy Spirit. I don't want to come and preach here without the Holy Spirit. He is the one who gives us life. He's our helper. How wonderful. He teaches us. Where do you get all of these things? Well, you can read books. Yes, and I do. And you can listen to other sermons. Yes, I do. But if, listen to me, if the Holy Spirit don't come and make it something for you and make it your own, it means nothing. It is empty words on a piece of paper. We need the Holy Spirit. But listen, the Holy Spirit is just not a a wind that blows. The Holy Spirit is not funny stuff that's going on, people rolling on their stomachs. The Holy Spirit is not dust falling out from the sky or feathers or anything. The Holy Spirit is serious. It's God. It's a person. That's what the Holy Spirit is. And I will never blaspheme Him to bring Him down to man's level. We can't understand Him if He doesn't live in us. You say, show me the Holy Spirit. I say, come to the cross of Christ. Commit yourself to Jesus Christ. Submit and confess your sins. And you know what He will do? He will send the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you. I don't need to go away and wait for Him to come. If I confess my sins, the Bible says it there in 1 Corinthians, He then baptizes us into the body of Christ. 
That's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. When does it happen? When I confess my sin and the Lord saves my soul. It's wonderful. I can go on on this, but I better hurry on. What will He do? He will bring... He will bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So when John was walking with Jesus, when he heard him speak, he didn't have a notepad there or iPad when he wrote things down. No, he lived with him. And then afterwards when Jesus died, what happened? They wrote the Bible for us. How did they do that? The Holy Spirit reminded them of all of these things that you read today. That's what He will do. And then He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither be afraid. The Parakletos. One more verse about the Parakletos. John 16, verse 5. He says, But now, this is Jesus speaking to His disciples. He says, now I go away to Him who sent me. Who's the Him? The Father. The Father sent Him. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Why? Why would you think sorrow would fill their hearts? Because Jesus is telling them now, I'm going to die. I'm going to leave you. And just put yourself in their situation. These were fishermen. I mean, John had a very successful fishing business. He was well off. He was well known around the region for fishing. Him with his father and his brother. They were doing pretty well, if you ask. Matthew was a tax collector. He made very good money by cheating and stealing from others as tax... No. Um, but he made very good money out of his taxes, you know, of collecting a little bit extra, Kylie. That's what he did. He collected a little bit more than he used to, should have. And these, all of these men following Jesus, they gave up their lives to follow Jesus. That's what he's asking us to do. Paul calls it out in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I beseech you, brothers. He says, I beseech you to conform your minds, not to be conformed to this world, but to transform your minds to follow Christ. Give your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the verse I wanted to, to quote. But these men followed Jesus, gave up everything. If I come to you and I say, give up everything to follow Jesus, would you do that? Some of you will say yes, but if I come to you and say, give up everything and follow me. Come on, man. They gave it all up. That's what they did for him. But you know what? Now he comes to them and says, I'm going to die. I'm going to go. What? You told me, you know, you want to say that we've given up everything and you're going to go away? That's like a stab in the back. They sorrowed in their hearts. And now he says in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. How can that be, Jesus, to your advantage? That you go, you're the paracletos. You're our advocate. You speak on our behalf. You give us strength and power. How can it be to our advantage? And then he qualifies that. He says, for if I do not go away, what? The helper. Who's that? The Holy Spirit will not come to you but if I depart, I will send him to you. Did that happen? In the book of Acts, chapter 2, it happened. Uh, now, we find this, if I want to bring it this quickly home for you. In the book of Romans, how that Holy Spirit helped you and me personally. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps what? Our weaknesses. Can you understand when I say I don't want to go out of my house without the Holy Spirit? I'm weak, friend. If you haven't noticed it, you are weak. 
Who are you to tell me I'm weak? I'm strong. Look at me, I'm strong. I'm strong. No, no, you're weak. And as years go on and you get older, guess what you realize? You, you get weaker. And Paul sees it as well. He says, this outward body of mine is perishing, but what happens to the inward is going stronger day by day. We are getting weaker. You know, I, I know I'm, I'm still looking young, but I hit 50, but I'm, I'm feeling it. <laughs> the amazing thing, Brett, when I was uh, young, you know, when I was in my 20s, early 20s, I looked at my dad when he was in his 50s, and I thought, geez, he's old. Janelle, <laughs> 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 it's amazing how, how life squares you with age, isn't it? Now I'm 50 and I'm going, who's old? <laughs> You're only as old as you think you are. <laughs> But then you get out in the morning out of bed and go, oh, where does that pain come from? <laughs> you can't fool your body, man. <laughs> you can think it, isn't it right, Lydia? You can think it all up here and you go, man, I'm 30 years old. I mean, there I was a couple of weeks ago wrestling with a 28-year-old young, young man. And he's all right now. He walks around the office. He's all right. I've still got pain in my knee and still, still got pain in my elbow, man. What's going on here? <laughs> But when I got into that ring to wrestle with the guy, what did I think? Man, I'm in my 30s. Look at me. I'm in my 30s. The body said, no, you're not. Better listen to the body sometimes. You see, the Spirit helps with our weaknesses. Now, this is a different kind of weakness I just explained to you. It is our spiritual weaknesses as well. You know, when you wake up in the day and you go, things aren't so good. And what happens? For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Sometimes it happens, but the Spirit Himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be added. Now listen to this, friends. His name is Parakletos. The, they use the name Parakletos, which means He comes alongside you and He calls what? The strength of God. So when we are weak and we call upon the Holy Spirit, what happens? He strengthens us. He does. Let's finish off this morning. He says in 1 John, He came as our advocate. I've explained to you the advocate. He's a paracletos. It's Jesus Christ. He's with the Father. Well, wonderful to sit here this morning and to know somebody acts on your behalf. Yes? And then He says, He Himself is the appropriation for our sins. What does that word appropriation mean? If you, like me coming from South Africa and English was a second language, you look at that word and you go, what does that mean? Appropriation. I mean, I struggle sometimes to say it. What does appropriation mean then? Well, the word appropriation, it means it's an action meant to regain someone's favor or to make up for something you did wrong. The Greeks saw this as bribing the gods to do something for them. Now, if we think of ourselves as sinners and God is a holy God, what is going to be our appropriation? What can we do to regain God's favor? Friend, nothing that you do will gain God's favor. The Bible even says that our offerings we bring to Him is not good enough for God. He says, I'm not looking at your offerings, I'm looking at your heart. That's why I'm not looking after your, your, your tithing, if you want to put tithing in or not tithing. I'm not looking into that. God's not looking into that. Foley to those people who preach and say that you rob God's warehouses if you don't pay. Foley to those people who's, who's bringing it upon you and say because of sin you're poor and all of those things. They will stand for that one day and they will give an account. And I'll tell you what, it will, they will give an account to God who knows the truth. 
Nothing that we can give God will please Him. Nothing that you've got will please God. Oh, I'm going to be a very good boy this week, Lord. Just to please you, I'm going to stop eating chocolate cake. Friend, you can stop eating chocolate cake for the next five years. It's not going to please God. Oh, I'm, I'm going to stop doing this, Lord. I promise you I'm going to stop it just to be a good boy for you. No, it doesn't work that way. We need appropriation. We need something that's going to please God. Now he says, we've got this advocate. Not only do we have this advocate, but he says, and he himself is the appropriation. Look at this wording here. Do you read it as I'm reading it? He's not saying that he's going to bring appropriation to God. He himself is that appropriation. You know, when, when John the Baptist was standing there baptizing at Bethabara and he saw Jesus, he said what? Behold the Lamb of God. What is the Lamb of God? It is the sacrifice Himself that will die for you and us. It's not because Jesus was not a sinner. It's not because He was perfect and did not break the law of God. That's not what it is. It is that He Himself came and He died for you. And that pleased God. Nothing you and I did. Oh, if I can spend another hour on that. But again, I can preach until I'm blue in the face. The Holy Spirit needs to open it up for you. He says He Himself is our appropriation for our sins. He uses the word hilasmos for appropriation. Hilasmos. And not only for ours, but for the whole world. It's wonderful, friends, that when He went up as the advocate, I, I can just imagine... You know, a son comes in front of the judge and he's done something wrong. And the judge sits there behind the chair and he sees his own son walking up. And the judge smiles at his son. And the boy thinks, whoa, it's my dad sitting there. I'm going to get off. Look at him, he smiled at me. And when the case is laid up against the son, what he's done, the smile of the father changes into a stern face. And he says, you are guilty and you will be punished. Can you imagine the boy's agony when he goes, whoa, I'm going to be punished for what I've done. Not because I know the father. Not because I know the judge. And when he lifts up the gaffel and he goes, guilty! Now what are you waiting for? You are waiting for the punishment. But then the judge stands up and takes off the clothing of a judge and he walks around. And he becomes that advocate. And he stands there and he says, You are guilty, my son, but I'm going to take your place. Can you imagine that? I want to say, frankly, we can't imagine that. If the Holy Spirit don't open it up for you. You see, all of us want peace. But peace come by the peacemaker. Can you imagine standing there and, and you have to really get a punishment against you for what you've done? It's so unfair, we would say, that a man would stand up and go around and say, you've done something so horrible that you have to die, but I'm going to die in your place. I don't think we understand that fully until the Holy Spirit opens it up for us.
And if we don't understand it fully, it will only be words. On a piece of paper, it will only be words like wind brushing through leaves and it's, the wind stops and you don't hear anything anymore. That really gets me when he says that appropriation. Your friends, do you understand the weight that you had to carry to the cross and walk up the Via Dolorosa? And when he opened up his hand, that he sees your name in that hand. Just think a minute for that. We open up the Bible and we read 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, and he says, He himself is that appropriation. And I want you to think when he looks down at that hand and your name, he looks at your name there. I'm not asphyxiating this, but I want you to understand that when he looks at your name there and he says, John, I'm going through this because I'm your appropriation. I'm going to take this agony, what you had to take. You are the one who are meant to walk here where I walk. You are the one who was meant to be taken and nailed to the cross. You are the one who was meant to put a thorn of crown on your head. But he looks down in his hand and he goes, John, I'm your appropriation. That when you sin, although you're a Christian, I will stand up before the judge and I'm going to lift my hand now to the judge and say, whose name is written in my hand? Oh, it's John's name. And there's going to be the accuser standing over there. And he's going to shout out every single thing you've done. Just to make the judge not pleased with you. And you know what? This Elasmos, this proprietor will stand there and he'll say, Be quiet! Because I've paid it. The debt is paid by the proprietor. This is how Paul saw it in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. He says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. How? How can the righteousness of God apart from the law be revealed? In whom? In the Paracletos, Jesus Christ. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, they saw him. Even the righteousness of God through faith in whom? In Jesus Christ. Can you see Jesus in front of Christ again? It means that Him on the earth, God to be with us. Emmanuel. They all saw it. To all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24. He says, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The redemption in Christ Jesus in heaven, the redemptions with Him, whom God set forth as what? As appropriation by what? By His blood. 
by His blood. Some people want to tell you that the price wasn't paid on the cross, it was praised when Jesus went to hell. No, no, it was paid on the cross by His blood. Through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You know, if I put a price on that and I say, how much will you pay? For Jesus Christ to be your appropriator, how much will you pay? There will not be money enough in this world, but somebody will be foolish enough to throw out a number. How much can I pay this judge to go and stand there? Paul says to us this morning, (laughs) it comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Him. Remember when Paul said, John said to us a few, few weeks ago, he says, how do we get this? By following Him. By following Jesus. This week I want you to go away and think about appropriation, okay? That's your own work. Go sit still. Get a, a silent place where you can sit away from everybody. Just take a few minutes and start talking to God. And I want you to ask Him. Say, Lord, explain to me the Holy Spirit. And He will. Start reading your Bible. I want you to go and sit this week and think about the Advocate. The Advocate who sits there for you. I want you to go and sit and talk to the Lord about appropriation. Ask Him how, how, go and ask this, pray this to the Lord. Say, Lord, lay it upon my heart how expensive that price was that you paid for me. But if you do that, be honest. And be truthful to God. Just tell Him the truth. You might be surprised how it will impact your Christian life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,